really need to understand. You need to work. You need to work it from the from the end backwards. Okay, so uh, even if you don't intend uh, to sell a note, you probably need to structure it and look at it as if in the event that you do. Okay, right. this is on the creating side, right? So you want to make sure you do it so you don't have to go have a fire sale and end up having to scratch a check to get out of the deal. That's number one. So you want to know, like, what would somebody, you know, what would an, the indicative bid be on the note if it's created this way? And, and it's underwritten from the RMLO and everything's stacked correctly. You need to know what the market will bear if you're going to create. That's my opinion, okay? On the note buying side, you know, it gets back to, you know, what's your propensity for risk, okay? Because everybody has a different different uh, definition of risk. And, and, and some people, and a lot of people have a different opinion on what a solid return is, okay? As always, subscribe and click the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Be active on our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing. And be sure to go to our website for all your note investing tools, resources, and available assets. If you have any questions, email us at tradedesk at jkpholdings.com. Hey everyone, Dave Putz here from JKP Holdings. Alongside me, as always, Mr. Nathan Turner. Hello, hello. Hello. It's been a crazy uh, time. Uh, New Year's has approached us and we're starting off 2023 in a little bit different way. I think uh, a lot of our angles have changed. Um, after the last month or so, we've been talking to a lot of different investors, different people inside the space, um, because we've been used to bank bridging notes. Yeah, it's, it's, again, one of the cool things about this business is it's pretty easy to pivot. Uh, you can go from one thing to the next. There's so many different ways you can tackle notes uh, that it allows you to kind of change directions fairly quickly. And, uh, and there are so many different directions you can go that it just gives you all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of options. It's great. So, you know, we got into this space years ago and what we looked for was the opportunity to just invest and make money on our money. Um, I spoke at Aria last night about, you know, landlording and, you know, the struggles with that and how this is similar to landlording with the idea of passive income and fix and flipping and renting and stuff like that. And one thing we focused on in our 12 plus years doing this is been bank originated, clean, nice paper um, and running on numbers. And I'm not sure how long ago we did a video with Tracy and we found how large this other world is um, of note investing or actually creating notes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, because when I started notes, my, my the beginning of my note career was creating notes back in Columbus, Ohio. And it was I actually really liked doing it. Uh, I, I stopped for a while because it was in 2012 and Dodd-Frank came into play and I couldn't find an RMLO. And so I, and I knew that that was a thing and I knew that that was something that needed to happen, but I couldn't find one. So put that on pause, uh, which was totally fine. Like I say, you can pivot pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, but now we're kind of finding our way back that direction and okay. getting back into that seller finance world. Yeah, absolutely. And in the fact that when we hear this 30 billion originated it's nuts yeah um yeah everyone jumping in here a billion like not million billion dollars of seller finance originated in one year yeah yeah so, so that's huge so the, the opportunity there is massive yeah 
Yeah. You know, when we talk about this stuff, we're all about numbers and whatnot. And what we're finding out, you know, is that this world of seller finance doesn't have a good connection to the world of note buyers. And what we're realizing is that could we basically do this in a way that it we can bridge a gap, basically fund them out and get let them keep going and they're happy to do that. So we have two groups of people joining us today. Um, unfortunately, Mark had an emergency hit, couldn't come. Um, but you know, what we're finding is we're going to bring the note buyers together with these originators and sellers of originated notes and let them know you can sell a note, make a great return and go do it again. Yeah. You don't need yeah. the bank. You don't need anyone else. You can come to us. We'll buy you out. Getting into wraps, getting into all the kind of things. Um, and for these originators, we need to clarify to them, what kind of paper are you creating it? Are you doing it correctly? What are some of the gotchas that no buyers look for so you can refi out per se? And that's just it. You know, it takes me right back where when I first started originating paper, I, as I learned more, I learned how I was doing it all wrong. And I, I you know, had to make all kinds of adjustments and fix a bunch of things. Uh, and we're kind of finding that now, like people that are in that same boat where not necessarily they're doing it wrong, but for our purposes as node investors, uh, we need, we, we focus on different things and we need to have things lined up the right way uh, in case of whatever, and, and just having clean paper that we can deal with for whatever it is we need to deal with it. Yeah. So when we got into this idea of originating notes, it was something I've never done before, right? And we're slowly learning what comes together with that so we can buy your paper. But what we wanna lean on today is creating that paper, the legitimate paper, right? Um, but also on the flip side, making sure your numbers are built well enough into that note that when we make an offer, we're not gonna scare you away, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, like I said before, uh, we unfortunately Mark had something he had to come up with, uh, but we do have Nick on here. Um, that uh, you know, Nick has been someone that has been around the space for a long time. Uh, Nick's been someone that uh, I've met years ago, didn't realize I did um, at a no conference. Um, but it, it, it's amazing where the connections come back when we get on a phone call and you start talking about these things. We're in the same game as Nick is, which is really cool. And they're his group of people and his Facebook group and everything else, and us can build a huge bridge to connect everyone together, right? Do everything right over here. You can sell to us and refinance everything. So, Nick, I appreciate you jumping on this morning um, and spending some time with us. Awesome. Um, and, and your knowledge and experience, not only for us, which we're going to learn today, but also for how to create the notes to sell. Right. Can you give us a yeah. background of how did you get into real estate? Yeah. Well, that's, well, you know, now it's funny because now the cool thing, now the cool thing is to listen to the old guys, right? <laughs> the old guys were around when the crap hit the fan in 2007, 2008. Yeah. I, I, sp I speak a lot and I was at, a, I was at a, uh, an event and there's maybe 300 people in it. And I, I asked the question, I go, hey, who was around? Raise your hand if you were around in two, doing real estate, not even notes, just real estate in 2007. And you could count on two hands, the number of people. And I go, 
that's the problem, right? It's not that there's a problem with being in real estate and there's a lot of things that I wish I had available then that I do now, but you don't know what you don't didn't get a chance to experience. I, I wish I could show you this picture. My Literally, my dad sent me, this is hilarious. Uh, he sent me a clip. I got to read this to you because you guys will not believe this if I just said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up. He sent me a clip from an article in the newspaper from two, from 1990, excuse me, 1982, CD rates, CD rates, they, the, the, the yield was 14%. Holy cow. 14%. Can't make it up. I'm looking at it right here. Wow. Are you kidding me? He goes, that was when I didn't have any money. When I, I mean, he goes, when it, when it used to be 18%, he said, yes. I go, people don't read what that, this is where I'm trying to get to right now is that rates are not high guys right now. Nope. If you go back in history of time and you look at what mortgage rates have traditionally done, this is this is only high relative to what we've been experiencing literally the last five or six years. Because in 2007, 2007, 2008, rates were probably even a little bit higher than they are still even right now. So the reason why I bring all this up is because you, like you said earlier, you have to be able to make a, a, a pivots and, and changes. So when I, I first was in, I started out as a real estate investor, okay? So I have the experience of being on the real estate side. And then I went to the dark side, which is what I call the notes, right? So the notes, I started a company in 2012 with my partner, John Montero, a company called Rylex Capital, okay? And the whole point that we did, we, we built that business to sell. And not, from the, not that we knew that we were going to sell it, but we knew that if we used and implemented best business practices, then we would be we would it would it would benefit us regardless if we stayed in the deal or not. Well, fast forward to 2018, we actually end up and we this was a seller financing business. Okay, it was creating creating notes from scratch, buying properties, fixing them, selling them to owner finance buyers that were not uh, traditional bank borrowers, and we end up building this huge seller financing business. Wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of notes, and we end up selling that business to a literally a hundred year old federally chartered bank. Okay. So it was, uh, I joke about it because it was like a nine month proctology exam because I mean, if there's anybody that has more uh, overhead and compliance issues and just regulations and regulators, it's the banking industry. So the reason why I bring this up is because I don't know everything about everything, but I do know that for us to be able to be successful and do what we did, do what we did, we had to know I had a pretty good idea of what we were doing. And so as a result of that, brings us to where we are to now today is where we have with the USA No Pro and the Creative Dealmaker on the teaching people how to do that same strategy. Right. Um, it allows us to create bank quality notes that other people just either don't know how to do or don't know where to go, right? So really, really important because when you look at that $30 billion market and industry that you, you talk about, which is all the notes that are created that aren't written by Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Chase or whoever, they're individuals, right? They're people that are listening to this call. They're, they're, they're mom and pops. They're one-offs. Now, I'm a professional note writer, and this is what I do, and there's other people that do it as well. But in that whole universe of the $30 billion, less than 5% of them do more than four notes a year. Yeah. Okay. So it's a very fragmented, very fragmented business and industry. Well, the problem with it, in my opinion, is that people write all these notes, but they're just not 
well properly created, right? They're missing things. You know, we talk about this all the time. When you go to, there's a lot of people that teach you how to go evaluate a note, mm-hmm. but very few that I know of, at least, that tell you how to structure it at a at a bank quality level. So, you, to your point, you can get maximum value because at the end of the day, let's be honest. Do you want something that's shiny and new and you know it's going to perform, or do you want something that's used and maybe it does and maybe it doesn't? Right. That's why banks don't sell their notes a lot of times to people like you and me. Guess who buys them all? Fortune 500 companies, hedge funds, private equity groups, family offices, guys that buy, you know, tens of millions of dollars of notes and they pay a premium for the paper. Yep. But why is that? It's because it's all about asset preservation to some point. They don't want to manage a problem. Just like banks don't own real estate, they control real estate. They don't want to own it. Nope. 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 When it gets into the secondary market, the last thing they want to do is own it. They don't want to own the property. They just want the cash flow from the note. And they they want to lend. They just want to lend. They just want to be a lender. They just want to control. Now, there's people that will say, well, I can fix anything. So bring it on. Cool. There's a place for them in the world, too. But I'm going to tell you right now, the last thing I want to do is have to deal with the non-performing note. Or be, or have to deal with the landlord, be a landlord, or be a, ten, you know, deal with a tenant. I don't want to do any of that stuff because that's a job, and I don't really, not really looking for a job. So, hey, why did you start creating notes? Like, how did you go from the real estate? You know, that's a great question. Notes. I, you know, I always, I always get asked how we just got, in, how I got involved in this, and how I got started. And you know, it's been a long time now, man. I started this a long time ago, and. Um, it sort of was, I got a little bit lucky, I guess, to a certain extent, because I didn't understand amortization <laughs> back then. Yeah. yeah, I didn't understand why, but now I do. And once yeah. you understand how amortization works and why banks do what they do, you go, holy crap, why would I want to ever be anything but a bank? Yeah. Honestly, why would I want to own, like, here, I always say this, we, I want to own, I want to own notes relative to single family residences. But I would, but if it's, but I don't have a problem owning assets that is commercial or multifamily or something like that, just because of the nature of the two types of assets. But to your point, so I started, uh, I started seller financing a long time ago. I had a property. I came out of the, I came out of the crash. I did everything wrong before. There wasn't education. There wasn't Zoom and, and Facebook Live and stuff like we're doing right now on YouTube to really educate people on how to prevent from making mistakes. That's why I'm so animate about doing yeah. things like this to help educate because um, it's really the key to, to understanding what you can do, but also what you don't want to do. And I, I you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't have REI closed back then didn't have education and like we have it today. And I had a property and I, I bought it I, or I didn't buy it. They mailed to a list. I got a property that came in and uh, this was a long time ago and it was a cheap property. I mean, super cheap. And um, the lady goes, I want to uh, sell it. She goes, but there's a tenant in there. So please don't go disturb the tenants. I'm retiring from General Motors. I'm moving to Florida to be with my, near my, my grandkids. And I said, fine. So I drove by the house and I go, Oh, that's what a thirty. That's what a twenty-five thousand dollars house looks like. Remember, this was a long time ago, right? You can't this oh, yeah. point at a you know twenty-five thousand. You know, is a hundred thousand dollars house. It's a little. It was a little two-bedroom, one-bath POS, seven hundred square foot house. You know, and it and that's what you would see today. And this was in Dallas. It was what you'd see today, and maybe eighty thousand dollars, right? 
if you can even find an $80,000 house now. And so I was driving down the street and I saw a sign that said Bende Casa. I know enough Spanish to be dangerous. So I said, I call him, I go, hey, I see you have a house for sale. Do you know anybody that might be interested in buying it? And so forth. So we went down that path. And, you know, long story short is that we, you know, found out that there was a lot of people out there that needed financing that could not go down to a bank and get a traditional bank loan. And now it's even more prevalent today than ever. Because here's another, you know, fast fact or whatever you want to call it. Talk about the $30 billion market. Yeah. But you know what else there is? About 60 to 70% of the population can't even go down and qualify for a bank loan. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when you think about this, and this is what sort of drives me a little bananas, to be quite honest with you. If 70, up to 65 to 70% of the market can't go down to Chase Bank of America and get a bank loan, okay? And less than 5% of all properties available for sale are available through creative financing, you think that you'd have them lined up 100 deep to be able to get into that house because you can provide them the ability to have home ownership when other when banks have told them no. So it really, really sort of baffles me when I see this poorly written paper and poorly underwritten buyers because there's really no need for it. There's more demand for owner financing than there is for retail right now. And that's not going to change. The other thing I want to say about that is that people always had a, there was always a negative connotation relative to seller financing for a long period of time. They thought it was stuff that you, that a bank wouldn't lend on, for example. Yeah, exactly. Or they thought that um, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a bad buyer, but the numbers say otherwise. I mean, I think the average now um, for owner financing is like over $200,000. Amazing. Uh, amazing. Yeah. So, you know, once you, but to your point, when we can get into this in here, the deal structuring yes. is where the value comes in. Okay. You know what? People say yeah. that you make your money when you buy the, when you buy the asset. Well, well, that might be true in a traditional real estate model, right. but in the note side, it's not that at all. It's how you structure the note. Yeah. How you stack the collateral file. Are you, did you do a contract for deed versus a mortgage or deed of trust? Yeah. Okay. Is it in a judicial or non-judicial state? Is it, are you servicing it? Yes. Did you use RMLO? All these little things yeah. are the important character, characteristics that add up to a, 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 a premium note that like banks do. And I always say it, and then I'll let you guys continue on, is that what would a bank do? Correct. That's the first thing I ask the question. What would a bank do? Okay. Would a bank do a contract for deed? No. Why would you need people could do contract for deeds all the time? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the contract for deed. I'm just saying banks don't do contract for deeds. Right. And why is that? Because they don't need to. And they don't they're want to. They're, they're perfectly protected if they write the promissory note and everything correctly. They don't yeah. need. And if they underwrite the buyer correctly, they don't have to, they, they have a good borrower, right? I mean, seller financing does not equal bad borrowers, okay? Right. It just uh -huh. doesn't. It just means that they might not check all of the boxes that a traditional lender needs. They Their DTI might be a little bit off or they may have only been in- That's in, debt to income, by the way, for those who don't know. DTI is debt to income. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> their, credit, their, their credit score might be, yeah, not up to the minimum. There's another fun fact. Okay, I don't I haven't seen the latest numbers. Yeah, but up until um, when I checked at the last, the average declined credit score, declined credit score was seven oh eight. Wow, declined. Wow, the average. I mean, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, I mean, seven, I mean, seven hundred eight is a good credit score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm, my credit score is not seven hundred eight, but I manage <laughs> credit. I use it. I leverage it. Yeah. It goes up fifty points, down twenty five, up seventy five. But that's just the way I. But I that's wow. I use it to my advantage. So I can never go down and get a traditional bank loan, and I'm fine with that because I don't need to. I can do. So, that we're talking so about. I think a lot of people when they create these notes, they think from the borrower's point of view, and they try kind of. I need to get a bar in place and I write notes originate, but they don't realize the, the, the other side of the space of if things don't go right, how are you in a spot where you're not going to have a problem, right? If your borrower defaults, are you going to have a heartache going to foreclosure? Cause you, a, maybe you originate too many loans for the year or you didn't hire a licensed originator. Yeah, maybe you didn't underwrite it at all because you did a land contract, not realizing that you need to underwrite land contracts if the borrower is still in the home. So and when you use these kind of things, now underwriter, granted, if you're experienced, you can underwrite yourself. However, um, we do have Max call underwriter in the back end here, um, off camera. But you have to understand that when you originate these loans, everyone does this kind of stuff. But if you don't do it correctly. That's the first step for a note buyer to say, I'm out. Well, look, let me, and to that point, well, and they might not say they're, well, they might not say they're out, but it's going to cost you in the discount, yes, right? right? And here's what people don't understand. <clears throat> when you give up that discount, you never get it back. Yeah. It's gone forever. And if you understand amortization, you look at the effect of that discount inside of an amortization table, it's a hell of a lot more money than the, than the hard number that's on top of it. Yeah. So one of the things that we what we do and what I do and what I didn't do in the beginning is now we write first and second more lean mortgages. Okay. Ah, and the reason why good. we do it is to what you're doing, what we're saying, because we're thinking about it from the note buyer's perspective. Okay. And what are the what are the main things that a note buyer is looking for when they when they when they analyze no. uh, a note to buy, right? What are the what are so the you mentioned discount? I wanted for those who may not yeah. know what that means. So discount is the there's a balance of the loan, either an origination or current balance, and we're gonna pay less for that. I give the example like a lottery, right? When a lottery is a billion dollars, you don't get a billion, you get a half a billion, right? So you're gonna get a discount based on the unpaid balance because of the fact that you're getting money now versus later. So the discount off of what the balance yeah, so you have time value money, that's one, but there's other things too, right? There's how uh States, what is the, the states there's the states there's the uh, interest rate we're getting told that mm -hmm. but yeah. want to start first off originally good paper solid paper right you know writing a piece of paper on a nap you know right on a napkin what the terms are for a borrower doesn't always equate to a good solid sellable note not saying if you never sell it it's not good but if you default or you want to sell it it's not that, that's I would say that is probably the number one. So this is probably the number one thing that I see across the board more than anything is that when people go and they want to create seller financing, okay, and they go to a title company, most of them still use a title company. Some do not. They do it. They do whatever. But what happens, they have somebody prepare their documents, okay, their lender documents on their behalf, okay. And, you know, Maxim probably talked a little bit about this too, but when most do, they prepare the lender documents from a legal perspective, right? okay? That's so they can file it, they can record it, they can do everything from a legal <laughs> thing. But let me tell you something, I could give two rips about the legal side of it 
if it doesn't meet the lender side of it, right? Because there's certain things that we need to have that are they're written, like how is servicing addressed in your promissory notes, okay? Yeah. Servicing is a lender, a title that you hire from a title company, a, an attorney that crafts it. Are they even going to ask you about servicing unless you tell them about it, right? Mm -hmm. Probably right. not, because it's not a it's not a legal it's not a legal requirement, right? Well, let me tell you, you something. You can service yourself, but those Good. who are getting into notes were wanted. I recommend getting with a servicer because one hundred percent. If you do things wrong, you violate federal law. Well, that's that's a whole other issue of in itself. But if you, for example, you say I'll just self service it, great. So that's fine. Well, that affects the yield when you go to buy, right? So that's that's a huge discount that you're going to have to eat at some point in time if you decide to sell and, and liquidate. But here's the other thing I see a lot of times when people do it, they'll go in and they'll put in the dollar amount of the servicing, for example, $20, $25, $34, whatever it is. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think 10 years from now, Servicing is going to be twenty dollars a file. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. You think fifteen years it's going to be thirty dollars a file? For all we know, with inflation, it could be a hundred damn dollars a a, a a month. Maybe be two hundred. We don't know. But guess what's not going to ever change? The borrower's payment. The borrower's payment will never change until it's paid in full. Right. right. The principal, the amount of money that goes to principal versus interest, right. that will change, but the dollar amount will not change. Right. Really, really critical to make sure that you're writing promissory notes, yep. even for your own benefit, even if you don't say you want to sell, you got to write them the right thing. That's why we have the transaction management company to do all this stuff. So people don't, it's like, it's like gun safety. Okay. I can give you a loaded gun. Okay. But if I don't teach you how to use it properly, you're going to maybe hurt yourself or somebody else. And I don't want to be responsible for that, right? So nobody does. So you got to really understand it. And just because an attorney does the doc prep doesn't mean they're doing it for the things that we need to have in place. Super important, super critical, because that's going to have a tremendous impact on the value of the note when you go to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, I know one of the things we ran into recently is the servicing question. Yeah. So those people are reaching notes... Yeah, I'll let you share. Like, what we're running into so much of people originating notes and the servicing they're thinking they're doing. Yeah, because a lot of people are coming from a traditional real estate, so they're thinking about rentals, which is fine. And rentals, <laughs> is a great I know exactly where you're going with this. this is, yeah, this is scary. But then the Go problem ahead. is they have a monthly payment of say six hundred and fifty dollars, and that six hundred and fifty dollars they'll just record it as six hundred and fifty dollars every month coming in. They've they haven't even touched amortization. And what happens if one month they're paying 625 and then the next month they pay 653 and then they pay, you know, you know, a late fee here and a late fee there and all of those things. If you're just taking a dollar for dollar, that could be a huge mess. And like, let's say that the payment actually, uh, according to the terms of the, of the, of the loan are actually $648, but you're collecting 650. Well, that affects what the principal balance is over time. So you can track it yourself, but unless you have specific software for notes, not for rentals, you're, you're not going to have accurate numbers. We're running to a lot of people using apartments.com. I, I heard, I, I never heard of that till like yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago. What the, 
Yeah. yeah. So when I asked for pay history, they showed me a list of dates oh and payments. Or another thing they were doing is they've got, they'll collect uh, principal and interest and tax and insurance, yep. but then they don't separate it out. So they'll have, you know, a $700 payment. Well, 650 of that is the principal and interest, but then they were attributing the extra $50 to the note as well. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's let me let me let me tax say insurance is a separate this thing. Is, this is really important, and Max will will be able to chime in and appreciate this too. When Dodd Frank came into play, okay, it was everybody goes, oh my God, it's, this is horrible. They're just, they're trying to cut the seller financing guy out of the middle because they're taking deals from the bank. Whatever, it's the best thing that happened to somebody that creates notes, and here's the reason why: because you got to use a third, a, 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 a disinterested third party like call the underwriter to come in and do something else. And guess who pays for that? I don't pay for it. The borrower pays for it. Yeah. Okay. Period. All right. Just like they pay for the servicing, at least when I write my, my deals. So guess what I'm going to do? If I'm going to have the borrower is going to be responsible for that. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to find the best underwriter to do my underwriting. I'm going to find the best servicer to service my notes. I'm going to find the best attorneys to create my, my 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 legal documentation and, and all of that stuff because we're writing these notes for 15 20 30 years i want to do it one time and get it right and not have to ever have to screw around and worry about it again because here's the problem that people don't think about when they when they when they sell that property and they do seller financing and they go okay i'll take the cash flow that's great okay but here's the problem of all those people that at 30 billion that we were talking about they're individuals. They're in, they're in, they're individuals, not uh, not entities, right? So life gets in the way. You know, events happen. People get sick, lose their jobs. Uh, you know, have weddings, need new cars. You know, go to college. All those things. And so there's going to be a point at some point in the future that they're going to need to, you know, maybe liquidate. So you want to make sure when it's time to liquidate. And you haven't want to sell it to you, you get maximum value to what you're referring to earlier. Absolutely. Yep. So let's back up for a second, right? We have different people out there, part of our, our uh, watching right now. Nick, you don't do any kind of wraps, right? You you strictly stick with seller finance notes, correct? I only, I only, I, I, technically, I only do wraps. Okay. Just by the but, nature of the, just by the nature of the definition. However, so I don't necessarily stay in them. Right. So, so for those people with notes, Raps is kind of a new phrase. I've heard of it. It's not what I, my understanding, Jersey doesn't allow it, um, but it's interesting. So when you create this wrap, what are some of the documents you need to have so that if it defaults, you can prove the case that your new borrower defaulted and you can foreclose on something? Yeah. And the fact that what do you need to get from the original borrower to make that wrap successful? Yeah, so we don't. I, so technically, everything that we we do is a wrap because there's some underlying debt that's already in place. Okay, so by definition, it is a wrap. So if I have if I have my own lien on the property and I leaned it, I say I own a property and I put and I leaned it with a company or something like that, and I go sell it, and before I sell, because I don't. I don't table fund the sale of the note, right? So if I did that, then I probably wouldn't need to do a wrap. But I have to do a, a wrap even for a couple of weeks because I have to get the, the everything recorded and then I have to sell the note, okay? So, so let me clarify I, what wrap is for those note yeah. buyers because that was 
unknown knowledge to me what that word meant is you have a hundred thousand dollar first lien in place a seller for whatever reason we won't get to wise decides to give me a property that may be worth two hundred thousand i take over that hundred thousand dollar first lien and then i create a secondary hundred thousand dollar but combine the other hundred to make a two hundred thousand dollar note for a new borrower I'm going to pay the first lien continuously or pay it off either way. And then I will make the proceeds of a hundred thousand dollar gain on that situation, right? The transfer deed happens. What do you need from that original borrower to make that happen? Well, that's a great question. So I would defer that to my, my attorneys that are doing all the doc prep. Yep. You know, cause you're going to need stuff like power of attorneys, at least limited power. So let's of back up power attorney. What is a power attorney generally for and just, general terms um it depends on what you're do, what kind of transaction you're doing but let's just say you're buying let's say you buy the property subject to which means an existing debt of some type okay and you need to be able to communicate with the underlying lender and the, you're not going to go back to the seller to do it because you maybe you need to get an updated um statement or you need to get uh uh, an escrow analysis done or something like that, right? It just, it's limited from the standpoint you can't, it's more for informational purposes, okay. not for financial purposes, if that makes sense. Yep. Okay. So, um, you know, those are, the, those are the main things because it depends on how you acquire, uh, how you acquire, right? But the wrap is just means that there's some underlying debt in place that, that causes to be wrapped. So we have to disclose that. You have to write the documents to your buyer and let them know that there again, it's done through the, the attorneys that are creating the lender documents on our side. We do not lit, not usually keep the wrap mortgage in place very long. Okay. For example, we buy a lot of stuff using hard money or private money. Okay. Absolutely. So if I, let's just say, let's do a, 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 a quick analogy. I buy it for a, I buy it. I'm all in it for $150,000. Okay. I'm in it for $150,000 and I borrowed it with private money or hard money. Okay. Well, they're going to lean that property. So they're going to show up as a lien holder. Okay. Well, the only way they're going to release that lien for that money is to get paid in full, right? More than unless you're doing a lot, a whole nother thing, but they're going to want to get paid in full. So the only way, so what we have to do or what we do do, and we let them know, and it's not, then no one has a problem with it. We have to create wrap documents first. Okay. So it's almost like buying it subject to, to the existing $150,000 hard money loan in the wrap documents. But we already know what we're going to do. Once that note is created with our wrap buyer and it's recorded, then we can go and take the note sell it okay and then when, and then if you're a note buyer you're not going to buy that note unless you're in the first lien position if that's what you're buying so the proceeds that come in from that is what actually goes to pay off the seller and get the lien released so, so that's what a wrap does when you sell the note you are paying off that that it has to get paid underlying off. debt well that's the only way i do it yeah. And we for me, that's my preference. We just talked to somebody this week yeah. where they would keep that outstanding loan out there. Which that's is fine. Some guys do that. Like, so, yeah. so what we'll do sometimes, and I don't want to get off in the weeds on that, but if we get seller to say that seller carrying that to us, right. then we might do a, uh, a what's called <clears throat> substitution of collateral, right? 
So it lets me go do whatever I want on the wrap side. And if I sell or do whatever, they just want to get the payments. A lot of people just want the payments. So we'll just continue to make payments and then replace it with some other type of, you know, like property or asset that allows us to let them lean that because they still want to have their money protected in a lean position. So, you know, that's pretty high, high advanced stuff. I mean, for most people, you know, the the, the strategies of what I think where, where we're at right now, where I think the biggest bang for the buck is we do with a lot of landlords, right? So there's a lot of landlords out there that are just getting tired of being a landlord. Yep. And so how do you take the landlord and convert them from being a landlord into a lean lord, right? How to control versus own. They, they want cash flow, but they don't want to be, you know, dealing with tenants anymore. So this is the strategy you do and you can structure and they can stay in the, it can stay as much of a part of the deal. Look, you don't have to sell a hundred percent of the whole note, right. Or the whole yep. transaction. You can create a first and a second, sell the first, keep second, or you can sell a partial, right. I mean, yep. you guys do both of that, but yep. getting back to what I was saying before, when we talk about well, why we write a first lien and a second lien. So when I go to sell the first lien, and I have it written at a 70%, for example, investment to value versus a 90%, I don't have to discount as much because the note buyer is in a is in much more favorable risk position. Less risk position. I wanted to just, from what I've been, we've been told, correct us if we're wrong, what we're hearing is you need to get a power of attorney to allow the new 72 buyer to speak to the first lien and to pay off, get the, get the, Pay off balance and things like that, and have the ability to speak to them, and then get a um, what was the other paperwork where you get a um, authorization to speak on their behalf. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to put in our chat by the way the YouTube channel so you guys can see the replay. Yeah. What people are asking for. Well, it. and I would say this: if that's if you if you're going to start a because here's the way I look at it. I'm, I'm all about disclosure. I am not the I, I don't teach or educate on subject to okay there's a lot of people out there that yep. do and do a great job of it but here's what i love about it it still comes into the funnel to create the mortgage right. to a seller finance buyer and then i can then once it's there we can then that's when it comes into the note world right mm -hmm. now we have these notes that we're able to creatively structure to our benefit on whether we want to stay in it or we want to exit out by liquidating it that's the beauty of what, of what we're talking about here yeah. in my opinion my opinion it doesn't really matter if it's a seller finance deal and the seller will carry right. or it's sub two or you go borrow private money and do it or you already own it the exit for me and the structure on the back end never changes it's so all questions coming in we're going yeah. we're right now live on facebook linkedin i think twitter as well so um so one of the questions came in was uh, from Cindy. Um, but I see Cindy on. We have a bunch of people coming on. Is what happens? I mean, if the note, if the property sells, there's a there's a call right from the bank. How do you? They have the option of calling. The option of calling, direct. Yes. How do you avoid that option of call that the note Harry has in it? That um, as the question is, get around the original lender, call the loan, since most existing loans are not assumable. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, they have the right to call the note. No question about it. But I don't know. I don't I've never had one called. So I, I, I remember I remember this question from a conference I went to in 2010. And and since then, every single time I've heard it brought up, 
the question then goes out, has anybody ever had that happen to them? <laughs> Zero. It is you know, here's where you, here's where the problem usually happens. Okay. Yeah. The problem usually happens in the fact that um they don't do the insurance correctly. Okay. Okay. There's I've good, never heard of it actually being called. I, so I, mean, I, I would I mean, love to I actually can, hear somebody say, Oh yeah, that's happened to me, but to date, no, nobody I've ever talked to has ever I don't think there's any uh I I, I don't know of anything. It's but like gotta, the idea of the IRS has a deadline after foreclosure to redeem the property. Exactly. But they never heard of it happening. No. So you the, know what? It's like, yeah, I get, you know, I'm in a thousand year flood flood zone. And I guess yeah. in theory it could flood, but it hasn't ever flooded and it could. So the other question that came up from John was that, you know, does the power attorney be in the state of him or the state of the borrower where the property is located? You know, that's going to be an, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even attempt to answer that because Legal there's not, there's like our attorneys will create all that documentation relative to that type of transaction. So if it's a, if it's an, if you're trying to acquire something with a sub two, you know, and you want to close on it, then there's a whole set of documents specific for that type of acquisition that that we just utilize that's been created by, you know, legal counsel that tells that that has you do it. I would never go and try to do any of that on my own and I wouldn't trust my so I'll do it. And every state's different. Yeah. Every state's different. You got judicial, you got non-judicial, you got yeah. different state laws, you got usury lists, you got there's all kinds of things that could impact that. It's so in, in my experience, I'm up in Canada. So I every once in a while I have it where I'm selling property and uh, what I've run into is that they require a US notary to notarize <laughs> the signature, which is a pain in the butt because now I live further away from the border than I used to. I used to just drive down. Now I'm a couple hours away, so it's not worth it. So what I do is I just issue a, a power of attorney for my realtor to go ahead and sign on my, my behalf. And so I issue it from Canada. They record it in the state where that property is. Um, I'm going to guess that's if that helps. But. I'm going to guess that it's a, where the property is located because that's, that's where the my guess as well. And you're getting a power of attorney from the borrower to yeah. act on their behalf. Yeah, that's um, my guess. Well. I mean, so, at the end of the day, for me, yeah. and I've done this literally thousands of times, okay, and I've been doing it a long time. And the one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to underwrite my buyers. I'm going to yeah. let somebody like Max do it. Yep. I'm not going to service my notes. I'm going to let somebody like FCI or Madison or yep. NAMS or August REI do it. Okay. I'm not going to create my own promissory notes to save a few bucks. I'm going to let my attorney do it. And I'm just going to do it that way. And I'm going to build the deal. I'm going to make the deal work under those constraints or I'm not going to do it. I do that. I'm the stupidest man in the room. You guys do all the professional work. I'll yeah. run numbers. There's no reason. There's no reason yeah. to make it any more difficult than that. It just isn't, you know. Find so it. Let's switch gears here, yeah. right? We create this note. We have our power of attorney for wraps, and we have our idea. We're going to use a servicer because it makes sense, right? So we're going to talk about how to sell this note for the top dollar. What are the things that the originator, who may be originating notes now, doing that may be incorrect, right? And or can add on to a note to make it worth the most amount of money to be able to sell it tomorrow and not be surprised when they get a quote from us and going, holy goodness. Maybe let's start with just terms. What kind of terms would be? Right. Well, that's a great question. I think the terms is probably um, 
the terms of the of the deal is probably one of the biggest things because look, as a, you guys are note buyers, let's look at the note buyers perspective and working backwards. What is what's the probably the number one thing that you're looking for relative to buying a note? Property. Right. The property itself and my return. Look at the asset. That's number yep. one. I have the collateral file. Yeah. Right. I have the the um the numbers, right? Yep. Yeah. So that's my return. Yeah, what's your return, right? Yeah. So your yield, right? So if yeah. you're if you are in you know, you're if let's just say you're trying to find get a uh, a 10% yield, okay? Okay. Well, and and you were and, and you're trying to buy a note from somebody, I don't care how good the collateral file is. I don't care if the borrower's got an 800 credit score yeah. and it's at a 50% LTV and a 40% ITV, you're not taking a 3% yield. Am I correct? That's correct. Never so on a million years. So no. let's talk about things that we don't care about as note buyers. We talked about the last webinar in December. I don't care the borrower is a local handyman. Don't care. I don't care that the, I don't. when the borrower defaulted, what happened? I don't care, right? I don't. I don't care how you found the deal. I don't care what kind of fridge you rehab the property with. Yeah. Right? There's numbers that go into our, our world, right? And the note encompasses the five big numbers, right? We have our balance of our loan. We have our interest rate. We have our term. We have our P&I and a balloon if there's anything, right? And how you stagger that. If you have a balloon in two months or uh, 24 months or whatever, it's a mathematical equation to equal out <clears throat> my yield or IRR <clears throat> number. So when we say terms, that's what we're talking about. Those big five numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are paramount. Interest I'm rates obviously that. super important when you write the note because what yeah. we're seeing, you'll see in this now. Okay, I would never write. I would never write an interest rate that low, right? Nope. And here's yeah. the reason: because rates were were historically low a couple of years ago, three three and a half percent. So a lot of seller financing guys go, well, you know what? The bank's at three. I'll be smarter than the bank. I'll write it at four. Yeah. Well, what what is that getting you now? Fifty cents on the dollar if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah, maybe not even right. Maybe thirty percent, thirty cents on the dollar. So that's that's one. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest. Yes. I mean, obviously the asset, the borrower file is important. Yes. But I think there's and I think the other challenge that a lot of people um, don't really take into consideration. There's a big difference between what you sell it for, and what the value of the property is. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. And a lot of times that we see people because they are offering seller financing, they want to sell it at a premium. Okay. So the house is worth 200,000. So they want to sell it for 220. Okay. Now I have no issue selling it for 220. If it's worth 200, it's right. if that's what the agreement is, but you got to understand that when the note buyer is going to go look at that asset to buy, they're going to base it on the $200,000 because right. that's the risk level. Right? right. So you have to be able to adjust it accordingly to your point and figure out what that discount potentially is going to look like. Now, if you're going to stay in the deal and you can get it, cool. You know, we, we here's another thing you can to, do. What's that? I'm sorry. We, we compare similar to rentals, right? A yeah. Possibly a, a, a rental that's fully paying, right? The tenants are doing great. If you sold a, a, a tenant, tenant occupied property, paying occupied, most people pay based on the cash flow. We're doing the exact same idea. Same thing. We have a promissory note that we're going to get cash flow in, and we're basing a base of return. We may be getting private capital, we may not, but we want to guarantee an annual return for our dollars. 
And that's what we care about, the numbers. If yeah. it's performing or non-performing. Now, if you have a non-performing asset, that's where me and Ethan kind of grew up on, which is non-performing assets, because we are buying it so well-priced and we can do all the foreclosure work. So if anyone out there has an owner finance note that's not performing or in performing, I'll, I'll drop in a link in the uh, in the chat or reach out to one of us afterwards uh, through our uh, the link I put in before, where you can ask us, hey, I have an asset that I'm looking to sell. What would you bid it at? But we're going over one of the key items to make the higher value. If you send me a loan that's written at 5%, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. The other I, thing I'm I think still willing to buy it, but the discount's going to be big and you may yeah. not like that. Well, and so, the discount might be so big it becomes a it becomes a loss, not a not a not a not a deal for the for the uh, the seller of the note, right? And yeah. I think the other big part of this thing, at least it is for me, I don't know because of all the notes that we've created, who the note buyers have been, um, is the the underwriting of the buyer, right? And I don't mean it necessarily from you know the fact that they got a, a 700 credit score versus a 600 credit score. I'm talking about all the documentation, the stuff that Max is here, maybe we let Max talk about yeah. how critical the RMLO underwriting process is. Because for me, you know, when it's done correctly, there might be 35 disclosures in this package. Okay. You got the Patriot Act. I mean, Max can probably talk about these disclosures. Are they important to me? Not really, but they're, they must be important to somebody. Otherwise they wouldn't have you doing them. Right. Yeah. If you go to Bank of America and you go get apply for a loan for a, for a mortgage. Guess what you're going to have? You're going to sign probably 60 different times on yep. that loan package. Why is that? Okay? It's disclosure 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 right. and you know, so we have to be able to take that into consideration and it gives and it gives people that are looking at a snapshot and taking a picture of the note and looking into what degree of probability will this loan perform, right? That's one of the things that we're looking at. And as a result of that, when you see a file that's stacked with 600 pages and has 72 signatures on the bar from the borrower, and you see another file that's written on a napkin and they, they say that the, the borrower pays them every every first of the month in $100 bills, okay? Which, yeah. you know where I'm saying? That's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to establish the... The, the the risk, because risk is a really important part of this, of this equation. And this is probably the one thing that you really can't, you probably can't, uh, um, you know, put a dollar value on, right? Yeah. When you, you know, you can't, it's hard to monetize or how to, um, you Before know, assess we let Max value. jump in here too. Yeah, really let's talk about RMLO. Back. Yeah, so um, Max is a call writer. He's off camera. Um, he, he said he had a face for uh, radio. So we'll let him stay off camera. One of the things is you mentioned before states. Now, if you are if you have a property in Texas, that's different than having a property in Illinois, New Jersey, South Carolina. Why is that? If it defaults, it goes through a legal process called foreclosure, which allows me to get a property back because it's secured by the note. Now, and when I do the exchange that, of title going from the borrower to me as the yeah. lender. So yeah. I'm going to take the property back because I, I have a secured note. When I do that, what happens there is each state is ran differently, right? Texas, you can do it very quickly, less than 90 days. We're in New Jersey, in Ohio, you're looking at over a year. So my pricing also has a timeline on it. I can return my capital in 90 days or 18 months. 
So I'm going to price it with that risk level of saying, what do I get annually in Texas? I may be able to do it four times in a year. So I can buy that at a much higher discount, knowing the fact my money will come back quicker, right? If it's not performing. Now, Jersey, I have to 18 months. I have to discount even more because it may take me 18 months plus all the property taxes included. So mm-hmm. one of the key factors, if you can originate notes more in like the non-judicial states like Texas, like Missouri, like Georgia, like all these states, it's key. Now, facet is also, we have debt licenses as note buyers. Certain states require debt licenses for note buyers outside of having a servicer. So states like Illinois is a state we typically stay away from because it requires a debt license and annual cost to it and an assurance bond and whatnot. So some states are worth it, some states aren't. So if you're able to create paper in states that we don't need a license, it's more attractive. Right. So um, what other facets, Nathan, do you think that these people who are creating notes should come into play where it would make their paper more valuable? Yeah, the, the biggest one is that interest rate. And, and as much as we talk about, uh, you know, charging a higher interest rate. So in the creation of that paper where you say, okay, I'm going to sell you this property for, you know, 150,000, 200,000, whatever the number is, um, where I found the most success in, in getting, making it the most attractive is a high interest rate. And then you can offset that to the borrower. They say, well, holy smokes, nine, 10% interest rate. That's really high. And you say, okay, yeah. And we're going to stretch it out over 30 years to help keep your payment low. If they are able to do a higher payment, that's even better. And then you can shorten up that that uh, amortization to 20 or 15 years or whatever the case might be. But, but this is where that note math comes into play and you got to know how the different, how the different big five affect each other uh, so that you can mess around with it, making it a really nice. We just talked about this in our last, we have a five week course and actually 10 week, but we're in the uh, third week of our five week. Um, We talk about note math. And if you don't know the note math, you're buying a note. And the math that goes into this is key from origination to buying it. So on the creating creating side that you got to be, so here's the other challenge, right? Yeah. You have to be able to do some kind of calculation. This is what we teach in the Creative Dealmaker Academy is that once you go to closing with that borrower and they sign it, it's game over. Okay. It's done. (laughs) You're, yeah. If you agree to a 4% mortgage and you sign, you're, you have 4%. If you forgot to put servicing into the deal, it, you can't add it later. If you didn't escrow tax and insurance, guess what? Too bad. So you know? let's clarify why interest rates is such a key. It's your return a year. Plain and simple, right? If I put my money in a money market right now, 3%, I'm making 3% a year. If I put my note in uh, money in a 4% note, I subtract my servicing fee if it's not included in the note, or I'm going to get 4% of my money. Now, if I'm using OPM, do you think I can borrow money at 2% right now and get a 4%? No, right? If I'm using my own money or anywhere else, I can put money to work right now at 10% passively. So I'm not going to take the risk level. So I'm going to have a discount to maybe 12, 15%. So if you don't, if you write a 4% return a year and I'm going to bid it at say 15%, you have to understand the note math changes. 
The interest rate goes from a four to a 15. And watch what happens to the PV, your balance alone. That's my purchase price. Yeah, That's it, how it drives it's, it down. It's, it's, it's massive. Yes. And you, you can, technically you can change whatever you signed on closing day. You yes. can change that later, but it's probably going to be a pretty tough sell. If you've got your, your or you can surely change if you can get percent. Yeah, you can go and try to modify, but but you're gonna say, okay, so just kidding, you're not gonna pay four percent anymore. Now you're gonna pay eight. That's so, gonna be a really well, tough sell. So, so what we teach and what we try to show inside yeah. Career Viewmaker is that let's just say instead of writing one note, mm-hmm. we break it down and write two. Okay, instead yes. of writing. Instead so of let's getting get into that in a second. I, once someone mentioned a comment about creating notes, I want to ask you before we get to eighty twenty rule. People write this thing idea of putting 10% down. So how does 10% down affect a note buyer, right? It's a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it doesn't go into my math at all, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's underwritten correctly, I know the borrower can do what it does. Max approved it. He says, listen, the borrower can pay it. I'm not so concerned. Now, do I look at it? I will look at it if they put a dollar down or $1,000 down, 300000 I'm going to say, whoa, 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 what happened here, right? But it doesn't mean as much. So the down payment really doesn't apply to me too, too much because the note math doesn't include that. So I see Drew put that he's running a 9.5% note uh, with 10% down and 30% am. I'm going to tell you now that 9.5% note is too cheap. Yes. Right? Max, I know you're in the background. What do you? What's the kind of average from Paul, the underwriter? He, he underwrites um, loans throughout the country. What is the average rate notes are being created at now that you've seen yeah yeah you bet um well you, you'll probably be unhappy to hear this but they they haven't in the last two years they haven't escalated at the rate of inflation when the, when the apor was 2.89 a few couple of years ago we still had good note creators putting nine and a half and ten percent interest on their notes so the, the spread uh, obviously was very good. All I was writing probably eight out of 10 of the notes we were creating were HCMs, high cost mortgage loans, meaning the definition being that that is a, uh, a rate that is six and a half percent above the APOR or the street rate of the day. Probably eight out of 10 files were. Now, one in 20 files are an HCM loan because in order to keep that same spread, when the APOR now is 6.5, you'd need to be in excess north of 12.5% on every one. So Max, so there's no arguing that notes are not getting as good of a spread now as they were two years ago, period. There's mm-hmm. no getting around that. Yeah, so Max, you talk about APOR and that's just the, the, the prime offer rate. It's like LIBOR, right? It's an index. But it's so my rate. question, my question to you is this: How do how do the how do the state usury laws impact the so ability me, to write these mortgages? Clarify what usury is for those people who may not know. Yeah, what Max. Is. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so um, usury is a state uh, limitation on the amount of interest that can be charged on certain loans. It's not the same in every state. The federal, the Dodd-Frank side that we help maintain compliance on, a lot of people are always surprised to hear this, but federally, 
there is no max interest rate. So mm -hmm. federally, if your borrower can meet the eight elements of ability to repay, meaning state-specific residual income, debt-to-income ratio, credit worthiness, two-year work history, two-year income history, all of that, all else being equal, your borrower can meet the ability to repay. The feds don't care if it's a 30% interest rate. All they care about is that that PITI still fits within this borrower's uh, realm of comfortability with respect to gross monthly income. But then you enter the state-specific arena, and that's where the interest rate matters. And so I always try to tell people, when you're originating, you individually need to sit down with your team in your state. I, I'm not an expert in all 50 states. I'm the first to admit that. So the investor, that, that originator needs to understand in the state that they're originating, are there any limiting factors to the interest rate? And then let that guide where they go from there. And unfortunately, there is a state or two that they're set so low that it doesn't really make it right now. You know, when the APOR was two, then they could still write them at eight and that was great. But there's a state or two out there right now that I can't imagine anybody wanting to write paper in because uh, you, you really, you can't even hardly compete with a bank. So would you say 9.5 is average? Just below average? Where should Not, people be kind of aiming at right now? Yeah, right now, 9.5 to probably 11 is very average on stick built. Now, I do a lot of mobile homework. I'm doing mobile homes up into 15. Wow. So um, mm -hmm. mobile homes is a whole different matter, though, and a lot of people don't want to touch them. Mm -hmm. um, so mobile homes tend to run a lot higher. But yeah, stick built home, uh, real common now to see, you know, probably 10, 10 and a quarter is probably pretty average right now. Understand so, you but that tells you that spread is a lot narrower now, right? Yeah. Uh, you got a, you got an APR almost seven and, and an average note now is 10. 100%. That doesn't look as good as a year and a half ago when the average note was nine and the APOR was a little bit over three or a little bit under three. And yeah. a lot of times people want to guide to their borrower and say, listen, I'm going to help the borrower out. Granted, you, sh you have to by law, and I think you should make sure they can pay, but you also understand the fact that if you want to refi out or if you want to sell it off, right? If you write a note at 11, 12, the borrower can refi next year. They can get you out, which is great. You get paid yeah. off earlier. But if you're down at the eights and nines, get as high as you can without screwing the borrower over. Because if you're looking to cash out, you need to do that, right? And without going over I'll, the I'll state tell you, usury. I'll yes. tell you what we do a lot of times. And just so anybody out there listening knows if, if they bring something to me and want help with that, I do all the time a situation where we just basically back into the payment. And so a note creator will come to me and say, you know, what's the max that this person can afford? So I've structured a very general deal, but we haven't settled on uh, an interest rate yet. Um, and so I'll calculate all of their gross monthly income up and, and essentially say, you know, this person, if they'll go for it, you can squeak them in at X amount of interest rate and still keep them under DTI and keep them within residual income. Anything more than that, then they'd have to bring more money down or, or mm -hmm. lower loan amount or whatever. And so I kind of help them figure out what the max is that they can get. Right. And uh, one of the terms is, still meets. But also the term is a big thing for us too, right? Understand the fact that if the term is lower, yeah. our discount is not going to be as much because the change of term, right? If you're working a 30-year versus a 10, 
my discount won't be as much. You can do the math and the financial calculation, but my discount won't be as much because it doesn't take much to change that yield number on a 10-year versus a 30-year, right? Now, right. back to what Nick talked about the day 20 thing. Those are creating notes. I, I encourage you guys to submit loans to us. We'll price them out for you. Uh, we have pretty much automation systems that do a lot of the stuff. But 80-20 loans, I think, are the way, if you're creating notes, to do it as best you can. I don't like the whole idea of land land contracts because technically then you create an 80-20 land trust. Who owns the, the, the property if you sell one of the land trust, land uh, contracts? It doesn't work. And I'm curious if anyone's ever done that. Please put in the comments or whatnot. But 80-20 is basically saying, if I'm going to create a $250,000 note, I'm going to create a $100,000 first, a $150,000 second. I can sell the $100,000 first to whoever and keep the one fifty. As, a, as that, or if it's 300,000, I can create 250 in a 50 and keep the 50 and keep payments rolling in and get my cash out of the first one. Nick, is that kind of how you guys do it? Yeah, I, I, I actually go, we actually have lowered. So when I started doing this, we it, it's a moving target. For, like I will never negotiate interest rate with anybody, period. My rate is my rate. And if you don't like it, then don't buy the house, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to manage the problem, right? Because- I already know what the answer to the question is when I go sell you the note. Okay. Yeah. I already know all things considered. I already know what your yield is going to be. And if, and if rates are going up and inflation changing and people are changing it, like you said, you know, I, I just showed you when we talked, when we started how, how CD rates were 14%. Now they're yeah. not going to go to 14% back in 1982. I'm going to get there again, but the higher other things start paying relative to a 10% yield or return, the harder it is for my my me to compete, like for your money, right? As yep. you know, because you have a decision to make, because you're an investor, right? You're gonna say, I got a hundred thousand dollars. Where's the best place I can invest that hundred thousand dollars relative to risk and return? Well, if you can get twelve percent in a CD in this example versus ten percent on a secured mortgage note by with some borrower, you're probably going to take the CD. So we want to create that gap as much as possible. And the only way I can create that is by controlling the interest rate. So I know when we discount it back to you. So what we started doing is, you know, before, here's a big challenge. Okay. And I don't know, I'm curious to see where you are on this, Dave, is that when we first started doing this, I was writing first liens at 78% or less. Okay. Okay. And now I'm down to 70 to 72 because What's happened is that real estate prices have not are not increasing like they used to be. They're they're flattening out or even going down in some places. And so when we do the note, one of the things that that determines what you're going to pay is what it is, what the, the what's the investment to value, right? Yeah. The ITV, not necessarily the, the LTV or the loan to value the investment. Of the borrower, investment to value. So if I'm wrong on my assessment of value. And you come in and say, well, I don't think it's worth 200000 I only think it's worth one ninety. Well, then you're setting it and I lose that opportunity. So by going to a lower first lien, I get the benefit of having it being in a better position. And I just move that to the second lien, which is my profit or my, my staying in the deal. Yeah. That's how I minimize getting hammered on the discount when we go to sell and it's a better deal for the note buyer at the same time. It's interesting. Yes. He asked this question. This is a question me and Nathan left about the last couple of months. Um, ITV and LTV was something we never looked at because we didn't have it. 
right? We, right. we most of the time, our LTVs in 2010, 11, 12 were upside down. We were underwater and everything, new. right? Oh. So LTV was like, we can get below 100, like, <laughs> right? Like, so for us to look at now and say, I'm concerned, it's a little interesting, right? The ITV is definitely there, but, you know, because ITV is the fact that whatever's lower is the balance of the loan or the value of the property, which was lower. I'm going to basically go off that number. But so we're looking now at the fact that where do we think the market's going to go? Is this going to go up or down values of properties? If the property values are going to go down, I want to make sure my ITV is lower because of risk level. My LTV is there too, but I'm not concerned too much about that as much as Max is, right? Where my concern is now is I am curious where we're all at. I'm shooting around 65, 70 because I'm not sure, but I'm kind of staying that that mark for LTV reasons, right? Uh, ITV, it still comes back to what's my return um, per se, because I can always get rid of the deal. So I'm actually not plugging too much of the ITV stuff. I am concerned with the LTVs as they come across. Um, but I know the fact that the market is kind of flattening. I don't see a drop. It just stays on markets are extending, uh, whatnot. Nathan, what's your thought about ITVs and LTV. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one because, like you say, we used to deal with with negative LTV all the time. That's all we ever saw. Yeah. So now, when we've got, we're in a we're in a position now. Do banks do banks write negative LTV loans? I'm just curious. No. no. Okay, I'm just making sure. Yeah. yeah we no. Were so <laughs> now we're in a position where the market is dropping or and and dropping, flattening. I we don't know, and that's kind of the the thing. So if we've got a 10 percent down payment that somebody made. Okay, so there's 10% uh, 10% equity in there. That's great. And then what? What happens when the property drops by 20% in value and the person stops paying? So it's it's a bit of a tricky situation for node investors because like Dave says, usually we'll pay based on the lower of the balance or the property value. Yeah. And if we're seeing property values drop, how low are they going to drop? And we're, we're kind of having to do a little bit of guesswork there uh, to see, you know, if we buy it at a percentage of the unpaid balance, but then the value drops below that, are we still protected? That's well, the major question. That's a great point, but it's only a problem until it becomes a problem and the borrower defaults, right? right? So, yeah. so you got to have a lot of things happen, right? It's that thousand-year flood insurance, right? Same thing. But if you if 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 we do a good job and follow best business practices from the beginning. We use yeah. the normal. We service the debt. We under we take a 1003 application on the borrower. We escrow taxes insurance. We get a valuation from a BPO or an appraisal on the very beginning. We stack the file correctly. Everything you're talking about is not nearly as impactful as if you didn't do any of it. So, and then you throw in the fact of going to a lower uh, ratio on the property. That's why when we do the when we create these notes and we teach it in the in the in the, in the Creative Newmaker Academy. It's a win-win-win deal because the way I look at it, the note creator wins because they're going to get a better, they're going to give up less of a discount and they're going to get more money back. The yeah. homeowner, the, the new homeowner wins because now they have a chance to have a home ownership when yes. other people have told them no. And then the note buyer wins because they're at a lower investment, the value, so the risk is down. But here's the thing. 
They also have the note creator staying in the deal yeah. in a junior lien position, which is where all their profit is. Yeah. And I agree. They and I think that's the right the way to do it. Right property now. and everything. So yeah. you have a little bit of the golden handcuffs sort of tied to it. And collectively, all that and having a really well stacked property file. Look, we can't predict the future. Yeah, but right. I tell you what, I like my chances because I've seen the portfolio over the years. And our default rate on stuff that's been created either in house or through our through our under our, our toolage, it's it's one one hundredth of what the, the 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 national average is. So, look, it doesn't mean that they can't default tomorrow and we can't have COVID twenty twenty four yet. No, of course yeah. we don't know that. But, but you talk about value of properties. You know what I did years ago is I created a due diligence portal, allowed me to kind of aggregate everything that I can get online, paid non paid. And come together with an idea number. When we bid on an asset, we're bidding on a, a, a guesstimate of what the property value is. We don't dive into getting a BPO right away. Um, and to answer the quick question, LTV is loan to value, ITV is an investment to value. So I use my diligence portal, Portal of JKP Holdings, and it allows me to get data numbers, right? And then through our we are we have our course, our building confidence course, we teach you guys how to, to figure out with all these values how to calculate these things, right? Yeah. And then we have to also say the fact that it may not still stay performing. We also have to know the fact that it may default. And that means I have foreclosure costs, holding costs, servicing costs to in play that if it defaults, what do you do, right? Because it, you can't, I don't care if loans been performing for 10 years. Doesn't yeah. mean someone's not gonna pass away. Someone's lose a job, someone's gonna get sick, right? But I think the way that Nick and his group are doing it with the first and the second, I think that's really the way to do it, especially right now uh, that that protects everybody involved. And it makes the note buyer feel all warm and fuzzy because then they've got uh, a lot of a lot of yeah, to your, Dave, to your point, if you're if, if the properties worth 200,000 and your cost basis is when you buy the note after discount is on the first lien, because you really don't. Most people, I shouldn't say all people don't care who's behind them. Do you agree? Okay. No, what, yeah. I don't care if there's 15 liens behind you if you're in the, if you're in the position you want to be in usually first. So yeah. if you're in the first lien position on a $200,000 house and your cost basis is let, let's just say 140, okay? And that property goes down 10% in value and the borrower defaults, I got to believe at some point in whatever that number is you feel pretty darn comfortable you're going to get your equity position yes. back as a result of it. So Regardless you see that why do we care about equity position? When it goes to foreclosure auction, right, that property is going to either sell third party or default back to us, and we have to sell it. So if that value of property is 200000 more yeah. than likely to sell at auction, or when I get back, I could probably sell it for 140 and get my money, my well, balance out. You, you do it, we do know this for a fact, you have a lot better chance of getting your money back if you're only in it for 140 than if you're in it 160 or 170 right. or 180. Would you agree exactly. on that, right? Yep. So yeah. that's yeah. all we're trying to do is mitigating our we'll risk. Never, we'll never buy a loan over what the UPB is for multiple right. reasons. If they pay off tomorrow, I don't get my money back, right? I can only get up to what they call legal balance, which includes tax insurance. We talked about it in our building confidence course, but you get all that kind of stuff. But you need to be calculating if you're buying these notes. Don't I don't care how long it's performing. You've got to calculate the fact that if it defaults, because Things do. And it could be no control of the originator. It could be yeah. no fault at all. Both parents die and the kids have the house and they can't right. do anything with it. Like, what do they do? Right? 
things happen. It's out of our control sometimes. And they happen more often than you would think. I mean, we've, that's, yeah. Dave and I grew up on that. Like you said, Look, and it's, a 30 year, it, it's up to a 30-year mortgage, right? Yeah. <laughs> Life happens in a, in a 30 yeah. years. Nothing yeah. happens. I lost my hand in 30 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. you know, I think 80-20 rule, if you guys are doing it, it's great. And if you can sell those notes to us, we can give you that money. You can go buy another note or buy more, right? We talked to someone recently who said, listen, every $10,000, I can go get a 72 property and get into it for 10 grand that has $100,000 in equity. Can you keep funding me? And the answer is yes. All day long, as long as my yield number equals, I can buy as many as I as you want to sell me at a good number. Yeah. My position on this stuff moving forward is that I want to, I'm going to, I will always write two notes Yep. and I want to write my first note at the lowest dollar amount. I physically can write it at that puts me in a position that I'm comfortable with from a cash position. Right. So if I can write it at 52 cents on the dollar, if I can write a, if I sell it for a hundred thousand dollars and I can afford to write it at $52,000, I'm going to write the first lien at $52,000 because I'm oh, that's just going to be a lot better for everybody involved. And plus I get to stay in some of that deal as well in the, in a junior yeah. lien position in the second note. And then yeah. I don't have to worry about as much on how somebody's going to be able to come in and, you know, take that away. And, and most people would clarify first and second liens has nothing to do with how much money the lien is worth. A first yeah, lien could be 20 and the second be 200. It, it's the order of the county records of recording, right? Taxes jump over it first, in, second. It in, doesn't fact, in, in fact, we're seeing a lot of first notes being smaller value than the second notes now because of the equity position that's that's happened because values on properties have gone yeah. up. Yeah. Right? So the alone. cost basis may only be $100,000. The property is worth three hundred now. Yes. Well, I only need to I only need to clear a hundred thousand dollars of debt, and I'm okay staying in the deal for the cash flow by doing it the other way. So, so if you're yeah. part of you know, if you're part of Nick's group and stuff like that, and you're looking for people to buy notes, pick our brain, reach out to us, right? Please do. Yeah. We'll buy it, right? If we'll it goes beyond performing, you get really scared. We'll come and save the day for you, right? That's what we did for years. Yeah, don't so call me on the, don't call me on the non-performing. Call Dave and Nathan, man. We're yeah. very interested in the yeah. non-performing. Absolutely. Right. And if you're looking at partials, which we didn't get into this call, it's another option to do. Um, we've had webinars on uh, partials. We probably should do another one again soon. But partials is another way to get some of your money out. It's similar to eighty twenty. I'd rather you do an eighty twenty than do a partial. But you can do that whole facet. I'd rather buy the whole loan than actually buy a partial. But I can make both work. Um, Nathan's trying to figure out how he can make it work on his side. So yeah. Nick, for your experience, these, these people getting in, what are some of the big mistakes as we're closing up here that people are making with either originating or selling a note? Well, I think on the origination side, I, I, I think they really need to understand you need to work. You need to work it from the, from the end backwards. Okay. So uh, even if you don't intend uh, to sell a note, you probably need to structure it and look at it as if in the event that you do, okay? Right. This is on the creating side, right? So you want to make sure you do it so you don't have to go have a fire sale and end up having to scratch a check to get out of the deal. That's number one. So you want to know, like, what would somebody, you know, what would an, the indicative bid be on the note if it's created this way? And, and it's underwritten from the RMLO and everything's stacked correctly. You need to know what the market will bear 
if you're going to create. That's my opinion. Okay. On the note buying side, you know, it gets back to, you know, what's your propensity for risk? Okay. Because everybody has a different, different uh, definition of risk. And, and, and some people, and a lot of people have a different opinion on what a solid return is. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because if you're a family office and you're sitting on a hundred million dollars, you're not, you're not trying to make 12% return on your money. No. Right. You're trying to preserve your hundred million dollars and you're trying to get a, a solid return that outperforms inflation. That's right. what you're doing. So you want higher quality stuff. So it's really just, you have to understand really where you want to be in this and what, you know, I'm older. I have a lot less, lot less chances to go back and fix a problem, you know, do something over and over again. If I was 25 years old or something, I may have a different opinion on how to structure this stuff out, right? I might be a little bit more willing to take risk, take something that's a little bit on the on the edge of being a re-performing, non-performing judicial state note because I can get it at a thing. And I don't really care if I got to take it back because that's what I think is cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. So I think those are the things, I don't know if that answered your question, but you just need to really, you really need to whiteboard this out and think it through and not just say, hey, oh, that looks like a good note to go buy because I'm going to get a 10% return and it's down the street from where I live. Because yeah. if you live in Chicago and it's down the street, that might not be the best place to be investing in a note. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. because it's all it's all relative. So anyway. Before Nathan, yeah. you asked that the your final question. Uh Drew, I want to just comment your question about um creating mobile <laughs> home things and his different family homes. I suggest you reach out to Mac, call the underwriter, go directly. You can Google it and you get information about Max. Uh, I reach out to him directly, ask him what specifically you would need for mobile homes and whatnot. Um, and so I ask also, can we price out a note that you want to hold for 12 months and whatnot? You know, you want to create this month and you want to know what we pay a year from now. I can do the math on that, but don't hold me to the quote of my price, right? Because if it- well, just, can you, you know, So let's look, at, let's look at it. Let's compare yeah. apples to apples, okay? What's sure. the difference between a new note and a twelve month in a twelve month season note. Let's in, in you know all things equal. How much is it? Another two points, four points, six points. Yeah. For me, it's two mean? points. Yeah, like two points. A huge difference. Yeah. So this is a great question here because yes. we should um, ask this earlier. I know we're losing people here, but yeah, because yeah. here let's talk about this because my position is, um, you know, you got to ask yourself the question: Is the upside gain worth the downside risk? Okay. Yes. So if I hold it for twelve months. And there might be some tax advantages of doing that, but that's beside the point. I can get an extra two points. So in that situation, if it's a hundred thousand dollar value, I might be able to get an extra two thousand dollars according to you, Dave. Right? That's Let's right. just say that note doesn't perform in twelve months and it starts underperforming. Now, what's the value of that? How much? What's the deduction on that? So it's a dramatic thing in the states and stuff like that. It goes it's downhill a lot faster than it goes yeah. up. Yeah. Agree? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Right. It could drop five, seven, maybe yeah. 10. I may be targeting, say, 15, but if it goes not performing, I may be targeting 25. And the reason is I can't get inside the property. I can't see the condition of the property. Will the borrower file bankruptcy? What will happen? We can't predict. So my risk level goes up. So I got to aim higher for my returns, right? Mm -hmm. And just to clarify what seasoning means, everyone considers seasoning different, right? Table funding is at the table for double close, an idea. 
Some people want three months, some people want six, right? We're targeting around three months right now. Um, Nathan will buy at the table, right? I'll take yeah. Right? But if I bought the table, I'm going to increase it 2%. You know, it's just what we do because the risk level, of, is this borrowing to continue performing? Mm -hmm. If not, I got to have to fall to consider that. If they do perform, the risk level is still there, but I would like to make sure I'm covered. Yeah. So we could price that alone a year from now, but we don't know where the note will be nor will we know what, what returns we're going to want a year from now. It may not be exact, but it'll give you a ballpark anyway. Hey, what if CDs right. go to 14% a year? Right. Right. If Why would I buy your note at, say, even say 15, when I get a guaranteed return in a matter of at 14? It's not about the fact that, well, CDs are 14. I You can buy at 15. It makes sense. No, because there's still risk in our note space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if CDs are 14, I'm probably at 22, 2022. 20, I'm a much higher number. Well, the inverse applies. The inverse applies too. If it goes the other direction, and going down. the market starts tanking, you know. We're, we're targeting 10, 9, 10% three years ago. Yeah. We were there because what the money was, where it was. Yeah. So it's a matter of where can our capital go and what return we need on our capital. So yeah. um, I think cool. that's all the questions we have on here. Um, so Max is Tennessee, one of the low usury state. Max doesn't get involved with the usury law, right? That's something for you to do. He does the underwriting side of it, right? But yes, he underwrites nationwide. Yeah, I would, he's nationwide kind of underwriting. So if you question about underwriting, that's Max. If it's a question about usury law, that's your local attorney or your originator in your state. Yeah. So, so Max I, doesn't originate. Max only underwrites. He's just an underwriter. Call the underwriter. That's yes. him. <laughs> just so you guys know, just a quick point of clarification. We are doing full loan originations in 18 oh. states. Okay. And we're adding more all the time. So to muddy the water a little bit, okay. we will underwrite in all 50 states. And that's typically what we do. But because the demand has been so huge and continues to grow, we are offering full loan originations in 18 states. Are you, are you, are you an MLO in those states or... Yes. Uh, yeah. M me and an affiliate. So, okay. so you use an, you actually have an MN NMLS license to do that then? Correct. Yes, sir. Got it. So you yeah. are actually the lender of record on those transactions. We would do an assignment at closing to the uh, seller. Correct. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. Fascinating. All right. Good to know. Yeah. And we're adding more states all the time. So so one last, one question I when you do that then are you following traditional for you to do that that would, does it have to check all the boxes as a traditional bank lender would have relative to the DTI credit score uh well you know. there uh, understand that almost everything 99% or better of all seller finance notes are non QM uh and so we're following standard non QM uh, origination and underwriting uh, mm -hmm. principles. So are they more flexible than Fannie and Freddie who's selling to mortgage-backed securities that are very risk-averse? Absolutely. These aren't QM loans. <clears throat> but with that said, they're still compliant. They're still legal. Uh, and so, yes, it's not the Wild West. We have a, a metric that we follow to make sure that you guys are safe with the paper that we're helping you generate. 
Um, but thank God it's a lot more relaxed than what Fannie and Freddie lenders are having to go through, right? Which is why if you're under a 720 now, they just uh, draw a line in the sand and they only pick their low-hanging fruit and they leave the rest for seller finance. So it's because, 720, now it's up to 720 now. Well, that seems to be, you know, because think about it. I mean, if you were trying to meet the Wall Street mortgage-backed security, uh, you know, that's a pretty high bar. And so the easiest way to do it is just draw a line in the sand and don't even mess with anybody that won't easily fit over that bar every time. Nice. So, so you, you're, you know, some people are asking some general questions. Um, be sure to reach out to call the underwriter where he's licensing all that good stuff. So I would definitely reach out to Max, give me a yell, whatever, go on the website. Um, and we all can the underwriter.com. Yeah. Yeah, and you can and you can if you guys aren't in our creative dealmaker, you know, join our join join the Facebook group. That's probably the best place to start. And it's just creative. If you go to groups and Facebook, it's just under Creative Dealmaker, and you can probably put something in the in the show notes, Dave, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah, we'll put it in the YouTube channel and stuff. And, uh, and Facebook put it all on there, and you reach out to Eric <clears> and myself. And we run this web, web, webinar different topics every couple of weeks, every two weeks or so. Um, so yeah, connect with all of us. We're all connecting each other. We're gonna make each other's life a whole lot easier. Um, go ahead, Nathan, I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, sure. So we've gone over time. So we'll just, we like to kind of finish off with this and get your crystal ball. Where do you think the market's going? But we are over time. So let's try to keep it <laughs> concise if we can, just for people listening in. Where do you, Nick, where do you see the market going in the next six months? Well, I think from, from the ability to create the create opportunities for homeowners that can't get bank financing is, is only going to get bigger. It, the seller carry market's gone from 20 million or excuse me, 20 billion yeah. to almost 30 billion in a very short period of time. And the, and the, the, the average dollar value of these seller carries are, you know, these properties are over $250,000 now. Yeah. It's not like back in the day when it was a bunch of crappy houses that a bank wouldn't put, produce financing on. So it's just an easier path for most to do, but it's also a dangerous path if you don't in integrate best business practices and use a transaction coordinator that knows how to use, do this, an underwriter that knows how to do it, or a servicer, uh, you can really get yourself into a pickle. I don't necessarily mean legally, but I'm talking about from a valuation standpoint because it'll make a huge difference when people like Dave and Nathan and, and even ourselves go to look at pur purchasing that note. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think I think there's no slowing down of the seller finance. No. I think that we're going to see more and more and more of that. Yeah. So learn how Remember to when so you can sell off a mortgage. Yes. We want to buy as much as you guys can produce. Let's put it that absolutely. way, right? And Nick's doing it too. But you um, want to buy quality stuff, right? You don't want to buy a bunch of crap. Yeah. Non-QM is something we don't get much involved with just because, you know, it's spotty. But if it's a clean non-QM where it's like some stupid... We have no problem buying non-QM, which is non-qualified mortgages for those who don't know that. And I, I, I probably buy more than Dave. I'm a yep. little bit more risk tolerant, yeah. and I'll, uh, I'll look at that kind of stuff as well. Nice. All right, we're going to tune off to the uh, from the social medias. Uh, we're going to finish up with Nick. Appreciate you, Nick, jumping on, allowing yeah, you to connect with us and, and do everything we all do together. And uh, hopefully, we'll be doing more business with each other in the near future, in 2023. Right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot.